Jumbo fellow adventurer, it's Mike Dooley here to remind you of how powerful you are and how much you deserve by sharing last week's spiritual tune-ups. These are live broadcasts Monday through Friday, each lasting five to 15 minutes where I answer viewers' questions, bringing lofty metaphysical concepts down to earth for your immediate traction. You were born to succeed. You are pushed on to greatness every single day. Your positive thoughts are at least 10,000 times more powerful than your negative thoughts. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy a week's worth of spiritual tune-ups. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, thoughts become things. Welcome to another spiritual tune-up. Thanks for the awesome questions you post every day on Facebook and Instagram. Today's question, well, we've heard rumblings and we've touched on this slightly before, but let's go there again because it's really juicy. Are we living through the end of times? Mike, a prophecy was made in the 1600s about our world coming to an end in this century of 2000, starting with fires, flooding, hurricanes, and more. Can you please comment on this? All right, first I gotta tell you the, the obvious, which may not be so obvious, uh, it's a total, the hook of time and space, is that nothing is as it seems. We are living our lives in a dream world, a dream world. This is an illusionary holographic world. And as Richard Bach wrote in his famous novel, Illusions, I highly recommend it. Um, if we blow this world up, we'll create another one. Now that might sound cold and callous and uncaring. No, let's not blow this world up. This is so precious. It's so beautiful. I do not mean to speak down to, belittle, or somehow take things out of context. But if the question is based on a fear that we are going to just ruin everything and be lost for eternity, that need not be on your radar. Something is going. It is wild. Um, but another tangent to this, before I get to the core of my answer, uh, Seth, I often quote Seth, dictated by the late Jane Roberts. She would channel the Seth material. Seth said, speaking to certain ancient uh, prophecies about the world ending. Seth said that those prophecies were filtered, as are all communications, by the beliefs of the times and the beliefs of the person who made the prophecy. <clears throat> and back when these prophecies were written, in an era, era where Christianity ruled the world, or at least the world of the prophecy maker, when their higher self went within and projected into about this uh, millennia where we now are and saw that there was no trace of Christianity as it was in existence back when the prophecy maker spoke, they concluded it had to be the end of times. People were not walking around with their rosary. They were not walking around with the Bible. They were not going to church. <clears throat> Compared to way, the way life was back then, when morning, noon, and night, people's thoughts were regulated, constricted, and entwined in Christianity, in the part of the world where this prophecy was made. It's different in other parts of the world. And then they come here and people are riding motorcycles and flying on airplanes and surfing in the ocean and um, goodness gracious, who knows what else they saw us doing. Uh, they presumed, according to Seth, that it was the end of times. But get rid of the filter and it's like, oh man, suddenly we move into spirituality in this millennia without the constructs of an inhibitive, restrictive, discretionary, segregationary, man-made religion. 
It's like, it's like so much better than things were back then. We've moved into spirituality without religion. We haven't lost uh, our spirituality. We are in the process of losing our religion. Okay, that's a side note. Now let's get to the crux of things here. We, as a collective, are moving through an evolution of consciousness. Individually, every one of us is blooming. And collectively, we are blooming. And like attracts like. We tend to want to hang out with people who think like us. You know, the left wing of the political spectrum likes to be with other left wingers. The right wing of the political spectrum likes to be with right wingers. And those who are moving into love want to be with other people moving into love. Those who are resistant in fear want to be with other people resistant in fear. But overall, even though there's a lot of differences in what I just described, as far as our evolution to the light as a race, as a species, humanity on planet Earth right now, we are surprisingly in a very similar place. We can find uh, reasons to disagree with our neighbors, but we are all low on the vibrational scale moving higher. And as has been shared by many channels and prophecy makers right now, the vibrations in this part of the universe, the physical universe, especially on this planet, the vibrations are rising. It's moving faster. There's more light. There's more love. There's more truth. There's more excitement. There are more infinite possibilities than there have ever been. But that scares a lot of people. Some folks in this cluster, in our scale of moving from darkness into the light, some folks are so scared that they're they, they are they're resisting, they're fighting, they're throwing tantrums on airplanes, <clears throat> they've lost their power, they've lost their mind. Uh, not totally, but um, we see what's going on in this rise of vibrations globally, planetarily, and at an individual level, we are considering things that we have never considered before, like Black Lives Matter. Um, and, and all the other things in the last 24 months where we can truly see, oh my gosh, people are thinking things, admitting things, realizing things that they have not ever realized before. Some are thrilled about this and some are upset about this. But up until now, can you, can you see how we've been cavemen and cavewomen where our priorities are based on fear for ourselves and not love for one another? And in that mindset where we have been heretofore, we've made some pretty poor choices. You know, we've chased the dollar bills instead of loved ones. We've uh, valued things that, that didn't need to be valued. And we've taken for granted things that should have been appreciated. We've, we've spoiled the environment. Many people have been asking me in these tune-up questions about global warming. Number one, it's warming, okay? That's indisputable. The question is, are people doing it? Or are people the cause of it? Uh, I think... For most of us, we would say it's indisputable that we have had an impact. Maybe it would be warming anyway, but there's no doubt that we have contributed to it with massive pollution and recklessness and plastics in the ocean. This is some of our unintended manifestations. People aren't jerks. People aren't bad. People are doing the best they can with what they know. And if they're working on fear, bless them. They're doing the best they can and they're terrified. Their back's to the wall. They need to make a buck. They need to prove who they are. And, and so they've spoiled, as we all have to some degree or another, the environment. But this is making it possible for us to move into the light as we're now doing and see our mistakes and make some changes. And oh my gosh, it is so not too late. We are such a great place. Um, the doomsdayers from the 1970s and the 1980s, when I was cutting my teeth on spirituality and channeled material, oh my God, they saw such a worse future than what we are now living. And what they all came back and said at the turn of the millennium was, well, you guys got it right. You started making better choices. And so the, the Armageddon that was once prophesized is no longer being prophesized to the degree that it was being prophesied. That doesn't mean we're out of the woods. That doesn't mean we can't trip up. But speaking to the evolution of consciousness by a collective, okay, many of the channeled works and the prophecies, uh, etc., uh, have spoken to a time of Atlantis. 
no doubt in my mind that there was not only Atlantis, but prior to Atlantis, other highly evolved, technologically advanced, far more, far more than us today on this earth. Not, not kind of, not maybe, not metaphorically, not as a model, not an analogy. Literally, there was the continent of Atlantis. And the story goes that while they developed their technology and crystal power and started bringing in spirituality, they still allowed their lust and thirst for innovation, aka technology, to outpace their ability to spiritually handle it. And ultimately, through warfare and powerful weapons using crystals, they disrupted life on planet Earth so much that it was like a total reset. Uh, the continent sunk. They dispersed to the Europe and Africa and the Americas. That's why we have pyramids on both sides, many say. And back to square one. And as we have reincarnated and come back and come back and come back, listen to a lot of the other tune-ups for reincarnation, and I'll answer all of your questions there. As we have come back, now, many, many, many of the same Atlanteans who did not learn their lessons about honoring technology over spirit, over humanity, and who were still in a warfare state of mind, they're all reincarnating now because we're at that same fork in the road. And now we have an opportunity to learn from earlier mistakes in other lifetimes, whether it was Atlantis or on another planet, where we need to get our priorities straight. And the question is, will we do it? It looks like we're doing it. Things look really, really great compared to how they could have been. People are clearly waking up, as I've just said. So we're on our way. We're learning our lessons. We the, and the question that I'm feeling right now that you're asking was like, we don't even remember our past lifetimes. How can we pick up where we left off before? As I have recently shared with reincarnations and the perks of past lives, see a week ago, two weeks ago, we carry forward from one incarnation to the next, the wisdom of the last one and the wisdom, including the mistakes learned from the last one. And in our, in our, in between life states, we can see with uh, all the lights on, so to speak, where we erred, where we got it right, where we could have done better. And that wisdom is brought back in this carnation. We don't generally remember the circumstances, the people, the places. Some folks do, and all folks can learn to remember it, but it's kind of beside the point. What's What's important is now by the seat of your pants, being moved by love for others instead of being moved by fear for self. So here we are learning it again. If we don't get it right this time, ah, you know, we're going to reincarnate back on planet Earth and there'll be another fork in the road and we'll have another chance. We live in a dream world. Life is eternal. Nothing can extinguish the spark of consciousness, the spark of God that is inside every single one of us. See it all as an adventure. See it all as an opportunity to fall deeper in love with yourself with life, with beauty, with nature, with other people. They're so awesome. They're so sweet. They're, ah, it's so beautiful. The ecstasy of thinking human, being a person. One day at a time, raise your vibe, smile, reach out a hand, trust somebody, see the good, and you will automatically bring yourself into the light, attract greater insights, know the steps to take, and move into a heaven on earth, which is where we are indeed headed. Jumbo, fellow adventurer, happy Tuesday, time for a spiritual tune-up. Today's question is one that impresses me so much. Uh, and I get this kind of question probably predominantly uh, it's a question about helping other people. I'm so moved by the motivation that I see in these questions to serve and to allay and to comfort those you love. Today's question, really simply, what is the best way to help other people? Specifically, Mike, I have a family member that's unwilling to help themselves. 
They always expect others to pick them up from their great falls. I don't feel that our financial contributions tr truly help this person. We have been asking questions to this person to make them come up with ideas to best help themselves, and it is met with great disdain. What's your thoughts on helping others succeed? Okay, I've got three layers to this answer. First, the don'ts. You probably already know that these don't work. Don't lecture. Don't insist on your solution. So often people are not looking for solutions, as you'll see in my subsequent layers of answers. Don't try to change them. As a note from the universe once said, you know, trying to change that one unfortunate uh, behavioral pattern in a loved one, you have no idea what you're going to get. It's like pruning a tree. If you cut off one branch, it's gone forever. And it's going to make other branches pop out in directions you may not be prepared to, to, <laughs> to deal with. Um, it's a very permanent thing when you try to change somebody. And your idea of what most need to change might not be the core issue. So don't try to change them. This is going to happen on its own when you love them, as you'll be hearing. And don't get emotional. That is probably the hardest request. But your emotional investment in their responding and receiving your ideas or your financial assistance. If you're emotionally attached to circumstances, you're going down. Okay, there's got to be an unconditional love, an unconditional willingness to listen, to be, to be present, to be there for when they need you and how they need you. Not that you capitulate and you give them your checkbook by any means, but if you're emotionally attached to a reaction that you're expecting, it gets a thousand times more complicated. Prepare to be astounded. Uh, at my age, I have seen so many people who I thought were beyond redemption, self-correct and heal, move into happiness when I couldn't see where it was coming from. And you got to know we're all inclined to succeed. And so if you just do your part, listen, love, be available, it's going to be enough for them ultimately to get to where they want to be. Now, the second layer of my answer is what to do. I've already talked about what not to do. Um, do. Ask what they need. Ask. They are so desperate to be heard. And in the asking, when they provide their answer, they're going to be testing out their own rationale. They know they're lost. They know they're in a quandary. They know as much as they point fingers at other people that they've got an issue. And by you creating a space just to let them spout off, you're creating the beginnings of their self-therapy, the only thing that's truly going to help them. Now, that doesn't mean don't use professional therapy at the same time, both ends to the middle. But in the end, professional therapy is helpful when the person being treated helps themselves as a result of it. So ask, let them speak, let them complain. Of course, you don't have to do what you can't do and you don't have to be their punching bag forever and ever, but you've asked how to help them. And so if it's not been done already, let them have a platform to be heard. This is when they begin fixing themselves. Number two, uh, however implicit this or obvious this may be, listen. <laughs> Listen, don't ask so that you can give them your solution. Listen silently. You listen with your ears. Um, I know these are old cliches, uh, but uh, they're, they're repeated for a reason. Too often we try to be everyone else's solution. And if you listen after asking what the problem is, after giving them a stage, then truly they can hear themselves and they can see the own folly of their logic, the faults in their logic. Um, number three, love, 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 love. And what I mean here in particular is to see the whole package. Okay. They've got a problem. They're blaming other people, but there's more to them than this problem. And then, the, and this issue. So try to deal with the entire package. Try 
or allow the subject to evolve. See them as more than this problem that keeps cropping up. Engage them. Um, take them to the movies. Ask them what else they want to do. I mean, of course, this is not going to be like you are you know, the savior and they are broken. They're a normal functioning person 99.9% .9 of the time. So hear what they ask. Hear what they say beyond the issue. This is loving them through it. It's not being single-minded and putting your relationship on hold until this one facet of their personality is polished off. So engage them in many other ways, in every other way, sharing your likes, finding out what else is going on in their life that you have common ground on, and having a complete full relationship. Nothing else will impress them or make them feel more complete than being treated as if they were complete and not helping them blow this one issue way out of proportion so that it blinds them to all else that is awesome about them. You wouldn't be asking this question if you didn't feel love for them and didn't see their awesomeness. Uh, finally, for long-term relationships. Now, if you're talking about a child or a parent or a sibling rather than your neighbor or your office mate, um, one of the best things you can do as well as, is be the example. Okay, Life is not just theory. Life is not just dissecting uh, a problem. It's how do you approach self-reflection? How do you approach making your dreams come true? How do you approach... Uh, stubbing your toes metaphorically and falling down in life. They're watching. They're watching closely. And as you engage the magic, and as you stop blaming other people, and as you find your power, they are going to see this. And you don't even have to tell them, watch me how I do this. You live that life. You be that person. You are a spark of the divine and so are they. And when they see you stepping into those shoes, they will better be prepared and more quickly to step in to those shoes. I know the old expression, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And this is one of the most heartbreaking occurrences when there's somebody in your life that you love and you want to help and you're doing all that you can, but they refuse. Your efforts seem utterly futile. They're just getting aggravated prior to you following these do's and don'ts, right? They're just getting aggravated. It's frustrating. They're making no progress. They're in denial. They are resisting everything, the world and your love. It seems utterly futile, but it is not. That you are present, that you asked me this question, that you're wondering how you can make amends or create a bridge, whether or not that's spoken, whether or not they hear. That vibration, that care, that love will make a difference. So no matter how futile it seems, and I know it seems futile, it's not. Your love is making a difference. Just know this. Your love is making the difference. And perhaps the number one thing that will bring about a great healing is to let them deal with this mess on their own. I mean, you give them your shot. You hear what they have to say. You're living an example. Now let them deal with it. Let them deal with it. Don't be the solution every time. Don't always open your checkbook every time. This is how you got where you are. This is how you became a pillar. This is how you're in a position of strength and wondering how you can help them because you went through this yourself at some point. So there's got to be a little bit of space. You are not on call 24-7. Yes, you can love them 24-7, but that doesn't mean you need to be there 24-7. Ask, create the space, listen, love, see them more than just their problems, and then let them deal with it. Let them resist and push back and deny and lie to themselves and everybody else. They see it. They know it's not working. They know this is not a solution. And only if you allow them their approach 
within the realm of reasonableness, ethics, legality, etc. If you allow them, that will teach them more than anything you could ever say, more than you could ever listen, more than you could ever love. We're all here teaching ourselves. So listen, love, create this space, and let them learn some of their own lessons. They will, and you'll be astounded. Jumbo fellow adventurers and thoughts become things. I'm Mike Dooley. This is another spiritual tune-up. The question I just got, uh, a bit random. What about dinosaurs? What's their purpose? And evolution, how does that fit in? Specifically, uh, Mike, what impact, if any, did the dinosaurs have on our spiritual evolution? If we don't reincarnate as animals, then what was their purpose for being here before us? Why didn't they just inhabit another planet if they didn't have anything to do with humans? I love dinosaurs. My little boys are crazy about dinosaurs and I get our human fascination with them. But aside from that, what was their purpose for being here? All right, kind of cool, kind of fun. And it gives me an opportunity to talk about some stuff I would probably never otherwise get to talk about. So thanks for asking this random question. Um, to put the whole thing into context, uh, to go back to draw on some of my most recent talks, uh, the origins of time, space, and matter, the origin of the physical universe was divine mind, source energy, call it the universe, call it God, call it whatever you will, but it ain't totally, no way, random or accidental. I mean, there's intelligence everywhere. Our top shelf scientists say that matter isn't solid. It's whirling organized energy. Who organized it? It didn't organize itself. Divine mind is the source of all. And the way it all began was divine mind, God, for lack of a better terminology, but not God of any religion. Um, but divine mind had in thought a vision of its desired end result, a playground where divine mind could splinter off into zillions of incredible particles and not have to be everywhere always at once. Dimensions were born here versus there, now versus then. Time came into the scene and suddenly God had a playground that God could not have had any other way, making possible adventures into love and beauty and learning that could not have happened if you're everywhere always at once. Just everywhere always at once. Please, there needs to be a hook. There needs to be some leverage. There needs to be some context. You need to lose yourself to find yourself. And in the losing and finding, worlds are born. So literally, divine mind held in thought a vision of a utopian existence that seemed to be independent of divine mind. It's like me and reality. That's how we interpret it, me and the physical world. And then we end up reacting to the physical world and game on. Now there's lions and tigers and bears. Now there's fears. Now there's passions. Now there's hopes. Now there's dreams. Now there's dreads. And all of these things set you into physical motion, even though it's all happening inside of your mind, even though it's all happening inside the heart of God. Now you think otherwise and you fall in love and you get scared and you be really happy and it's just this unending odyssey until we kind of been there, done that in every realm possible. And of course, as I've shared before, you can't do it in one short little lifetime the way we burn our bodies out, you know, in less than a hundred years typically, you know, because they're designed to go indefinitely. So if you're going to fizzle out, you know, in less than a hundred years, you come back and you come back as male, you come back as female, you come back left brain inclined, right brain inclined. Think of all the different adventures you can have based on different filters, based on different parents. That's why you choose your parents and they chose you. Uh, it's, it's this incredible odyssey. So now uh, I haven't forgot about the dinosaur bit. <laughs> So now when you understand that divine mind wanted this bastion of order and perfection that seemed to take care of itself, it does indeed need to self-maintain. It needs to self-maintain. You've got these beings that breathe oxygen. Well, you need something to absorb the oxygen and, um, well, that's us. Uh, we exhale carbon di dioxide, right? So, 
So we need something to absorb the carbon dioxide out. So, so God, and here's where it gets really wild, and this is from some deep, profound books, most of which were channeled. God created the fauna and the flora. But was it God, the Almighty? Seth, dictated by Jane Roberts. I mention Seth every week. Seth is this lofty, lofty entity that, that has the perspective of all of its lifetimes, that is channeled through Jane Roberts to, to bring clarity to reality so that we can have traction and have more, life, uh, more fun in our lives. Seth would say that even from where Seth was, at this extremely lofty place, that not even Seth could comprehend uh, the, the source of the source of the source, that, that it would go way beyond Seth's grasp. And sometimes Jane Roberts would channel Seth, and Seth too, she gave him a name, Seth too would come in. So here's Jane Roberts, here's Seth, like just pff, celestial out there, and like you, the nether reaches of ad infinitum. And then sometimes Seth too would descend. And Seth too would say, we can't even comprehend your reality except we understand you are playing in fields of love. And we want you to know that you are loved and that your evolution, spiritual evolution, is important to our evolution. And, and she would totally change tone uh, and it would be amazing. And then Seth one would return and then Jane would return. It's like, oh my gosh, I tell you all of that. Because there's all these other layers of consciousness, these sparks of God, if you will. And you might say that human beings are way down here. It's not that we're less. It's just a different adventure where we've chosen to forget more. There's other layers where they chose to forget less. And there's some that went and forgot what we forgot, but they've climbed back up. And boy, do they have perspectives that can give us a handle on things. But there's all these other levels of God personalities. Call them the archangels. Call them angels. Call them guides. Call them helpers. Call them whatever you want to call them. But there's a lot more levels of consciousness than just human beings versus God, the big one. And it is all these other layers that created the fauna, that created the, the otter, that created the dolphin and the minnow and the bacteria and the cellulite and the it just every manner of creation was thought of. Not just by one God who said, I want it all. That literally, it was divine mind. But what layer, I couldn't tell you, that created this bastion of perfection for us to have a playground. I probably didn't need to go all the way up to the top, top office. It was some other level of God, closer to where we are, that got the ball rolling, so to speak. And we perpetuate it. Every one of the books that I've read that are profoundly inspired and almost always channeled have said it was minds like yours that designed each and every flower, each and every being. Now, in the beginning, there was the end result in mind, a playground, an oasis for learning, discovery, and adventure, and Big Bang. Big Bang, the world, the physical universe as we know it came to be. This is called spontaneous creation. Scientists have no problem with Big Bang theory, but they have a huge problem with spontaneous creation. They say nothing could be spontaneous. You can't just have a new species. Every species was at one point a brand new species, and there was no evolution that brought that species here. This is the world according to me, influenced by some of what I read. So all of a sudden, you've got Big Bang, and the world, and the gravity, and the mathematics, and the sciences, and everything needed to support it, including tons of species and um, symbiotic relationships where one takes care of the other, one's breathing out carbon dioxide, one's breathing out oxygen and they, the whole thing in an instant came to be so that we could have our journeys. But in the instant that they came about, tweaks and differences needed to be made. We call this evolution. Thank you, Darwin. You missed a few beats there. To think that all of this came about from an amoeba is uh, short-sighted, uh, is uh, faulty. It all came about in one big bang and then the turtles grew longer necks. And then the birds could fly a little bit farther. And then a few new species were spontaneously introduced. Remember, as our talk went yesterday, we're living in an eternal now. 
that does boggle the human brain. But in an eternal now, not only could you just reinvent a new species or have one delivered by a higher being, but it could seamlessly be woven into the fabric of our everyday so that it seems like it has a history and we can even find fossils of it. In your nighttime dreams, worlds are born and you have a memory of earlier times in your nighttime dream that was born in the instant that you dreamed it. So things are not as they seem. Back to dinosaurs. So dinosaurs were part of the maintenance program. Just like the world needed by uh, bacteria and uh, every creature needed cells and molecules. Well, we needed, we needed an ocean and we needed land and we needed animals that would clean up the ocean and they would clean up the land and they would clean up after each other when uh, when one would die there would be the the decomposition the whole thing was in divine mind and nothing had to be anything we could have lived great without bumblebees but something else would have to do bumblebee jobs we could have done great without the dinosaurs they're not important to our spiritual evolution other than they were part of the maintenance package that came along with planet earth if we got rid of the dinosaurs, however, something else would have to come in and do the job that the dinosaurs did. And remember, a lot of reality is just about joy and love and play. It's like, look, look, check out that dinosaur I just made. It's bigger than your dinosaur. Hey, your dinosaur just ate my dinosaur's head off. Um, now, of course, this is done at a much higher level where there's love and comprehension and enlightenment and cooperation among the gods who are creating this. I say gods plural because, okay, there's source energy and it comes down and it keeps coming down and it keeps coming down. And there's all these other layers of God, other layers of personalities with wisdom, some of which came up from the human level, some of which came down. All of it is one. All of it is God Almighty. And so adjustments have been made in the form of evolution. And many of these books, many, uh, that are so profound in every regard, speaking of life's beauty, our power, and the love that's everywhere, when they go off tangent to some random idea about you know dinosaurs coexisting with human beings, I give it the benefit of the doubt. When everything else is about love and beauty and power, and the book clearly excites me and other people to live better lives, and then they mention dinosaurs and human beings living at the same time, I'm not going to say, well, that part's wrong. It's like, if everything else is right in that book, this part is right too. So many of these books said that human beings did live at the time of the dinosaur. And that there are many civilizations, as I said last week, that simultaneous, that existed prior to our civilization, Atlantis, Lumoria, Mu, and other ones, that achieved heights greater than our own, technologically speaking, spiritually speaking, and, and other realms and other ways to measure their advancement. Many, we have been on the earth as human beings, whether we're alien spawns or not, for millions and millions, perhaps a billion years, although our science hasn't shown that yet, it hasn't shown up yet. I understand that you must think I'm a nut if I say that, but based on my sources where everything else was about love and beauty, I have no problem believing this whatsoever. So there was a time, perhaps all the time, that the dinosaurs were here. I don't know if it overlapped or if it was concurrent entirely. Human beings lived when the dinosaurs lived. And from one of these books, I forget which ones, I'm sorry about that, um, they said that the dinosaurs pretty much wreaked habit and havoc. Uh, and that people were just, you know, life was unbearable. People were prey. You had to live in caves. And uh, you're lucky if you, you know, you reached adulthood. Um, it, was, it was horrific. It didn't work. So the gods hit the reset button vis-a-vis. -vis, hmm, how can we reset this stage without disrupting all the other things? A meteorite. Okay, a comet or something. And Perhaps, I'm just speculating, connecting the dots of what science thinks is the cause of their uh, extermination versus the need for them to be exterminated. Hey, let's just make them little bitty. We'll call them lizards and toads, okay? Let, let, let's not get rid of that cool idea. It was a lot of fun, but we just can't have them eating up our entire civilization. So there was a reset. And, and this is how life has continued. There was the Big Bang. 
There are the introduction, spontaneous creation of other species done cleverly. Can't just ruin the day. Just can't have a new species in Manhattan all of a sudden. It has to be snuck in there so that it won't disrupt the beliefs prevailing at the time of its introduction. And then some are going to extinct and some come back. Um, oh my gosh, what a world we live in. And it's our playground. It is for our growth and our glory. Jumbo, fellow adventurers, it's Mike Dooley. Time for a spiritual tune-up and happy Friday. All right, this question uh, is a combination of several questions that have shown up recently on my Facebook or Instagram feeds under these videos uh, pertaining to the miraculous mechanics of manifestation. Maybe my favorite talking point. Mike, I'd love a metaphysical booster shot on how to show up, show up, show up something I advocate. The importance of our getting out there and pitching things the universe can hit out of the park. Another one of my metaphors. Thanks for being such a great student. How can you tell the difference between micromanaging and working towards your goal? When you show up, show up, show up, you know, aren't you automatically messing with the cursed house? Okay, time for a booster shot. Uh, the end all and be all of living the life of your dreams of making your dreams come true, of defeating your lions and tigers and bears. What is it you most want right now? The shortest, quickest way is to define what you want in terms of the end result in your mind and take baby steps towards it because your thoughts become the things and events of your life. It is the end-all, be-all of living in these sacred jungles of time and space. Nothing mitigates the power of your focus. Nothing, not destiny, karma, ancient spiritual contracts, angels, tinkerbells, fairies, not even God's will. You are the expression of God's will. Full force totally happening. Now the baton has been passed and God has come alive in you. You write the ticket. You decide what happens today, tomorrow, the rest of your life, and you decide through your thoughts, not your past, not your future, not, not ancient spiritual lives will affect this. You have that power now. Thoughts become things not sometimes, but all the time. Not just your positive thoughts, but your other ones too, because it is an immutable law as rigid and predictable, every bit as dependable as gravity. But don't worry when I say your other thoughts too, because you're naturally inclined to succeed. Five minutes of creative visualization can offset 18 waking hours of fear. Five minutes. So if you worry, don't worry that you worry. But let me run through my mechanics, the miraculous mechanics of manifestation really clearly for you right now. The best analogy I've ever come up with is to compare it to digital GPS navigation. Everything begins with the end, the destination. GPS knows where you are, satellite signals. Divine intelligence knows where you are, you are it. You simply decide where you want to go. In terms of the destination, do not worry about how you're going to get there. You put the end result in your GPS-guided car and every possible way you could get there. Every speed limit, every merge, traffic construction, traffic delays, detours, congestion, all is factored in. And in the same instant, you tell the system your desired end result. It knows the shortest, quickest, happiest way for you to get there with all else that you have in mind. This is the universe. You say, I want wealth and abundance. I know how to get there. I want creative, fulfilling work. I know how to get there. I want a travel partner with benefits. I know who that is. In the instant you say the end result, the universe is like, I'm all over it. I know everybody. I know everything. I know every probability. I know every fork in the road in not only your life, but the seven and a half billion other co-creators on planet earth. And I'm going to blow your mind. This is how it works. But when you put your destination, the end result in the system, do you hear the car start speaking to you? Are you suddenly transported to that new place? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. You're never going to get to that place unless you do step two. 
put your car in gear. It won't matter if there's a vision board in the back seat. It won't matter if there's a gratitude rock in your pocket. Your dream will never come true if your car is in park, if your life is in park. But people don't know how their dream is going to come true. I already talked about that, the cursed house. I said, don't worry about how. Well, if I don't know how my dream is going to come true, where I'm going to find my travel partner, wealth and abundance, friends and laughter, health and healing, then how am I going to show up? What if I go down the wrong road? Come on, in your car, GPS guided, is there a wrong way? You could be, you could set out in the exact opposite direction of where the system wants you to go. But because you're moving, because you're rolling, because you showed up, showed up, showed up, taking action, baby steps, guidance is immediately forthcoming. Make a legal U-turn, right? You get guidance, guidance that is not forthcoming when you're sitting on your couch with a vision board waiting for Oprah Winfrey to call. She's not calling. She will never, ever call until you go out there and give her something to call about, which means you have to take action on your dream even when, and this is always true, even when you don't know how your dream's gonna come true. Do anything, show up, do what mortals do who don't know about the woo-woo, okay? Cold call, continuing education, uh, print business cards, Do the baby steps. Do it even though you don't know how the dots will be connected. Show up and then you give divine intelligence the ability to reach you through guidance, through intuition, through putting a new best friend on your path, a best friend that cannot find you if you're at home waiting for inspiration. Even without inspiration, go do something. Physically take action and think not that you have to hit the home run. That's too much pressure. You don't even know how your dream's going to come true. Just go out there with a glad heart and do your best consistently every day. The universe hits the home run if you keep pitching. You pitch. This is analogous to your baby steps. Every baby step you take, going to the mall and filling filling out an application for a minimum wage job is better than staying at home. It's a pitch. And the universe can be like, now you're reachable. You have pitched the ball to me on your way to the mall in the bus. I'm going to sit you next to somebody who's going to so annoy you. You're going to look out the window and see the billboard about the upcoming entrepreneur's trade show, trade, trade event. And suddenly you're at a place rubbing shoulders with new people, getting new ideas. Your life is transformed because of that ding dong on the bus who annoyed you, which was actually an angel designed to get you to look out the window because you took action on a dream, even though it was going to a apply for a job that you didn't really care about. And that's better than staying at home and doing nothing. The universe hits the home runs when you pitch and your pitches are just measly seeming, inadequate seeming baby steps in the vague general direction of your dreams. Don't go to that job that you hate and learn to love it. Go to that job you hate because it's better than sitting at home on the couch and then go with a glad heart Be your best. Smile. Everybody knows who that person is. Everybody wants some of that, including customers and clients who are going to walk through your space and be like, you need to be on my team. You need to meet my son. You need to do da, 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 da. You're out in the world and the program, the magic has been programmed through your end results. Dream a lot of big dreams, all in terms of the end result, as if they've already come true. Wealth and abundance and friends and laughter and places to go and health and vitality and good vibrations. The universe is like, I'm all over that. That's why you're here. That's why we're doing this whole drill of the jungles of time and space. I adore you and there's so much waiting for you. Just dream and show up. Just dream and get out. Realize the miracles of manifestation are generally invisible. Like you see nothing until after the dream comes true. And then you're like, oh, thank God I've turned left and turned right. The whole way to a brand new best friend's house in a three-hour journey is filled with new sights that do not add up to your friend and a warm embrace. But because you followed and you showed up and you didn't deviate from the desired end result, you look back after you arrive and you're having a, a cup of chai with your new best friend and you're like, Every left and right hand turn I took, every single thing I did was pounced upon by divine intelligence and brought me closer and closer to the inevitable manifestation of my heart's desires. So remember, just because it seems like nothing's happening, 
doesn't mean nothing's happening. Just because you can't see the miracles doesn't mean you aren't caked in them every single day. The only thing that's meant to be in your life are the things you think about. And what are your thoughts? But your end results, they're your destinations. But don't be thinking now, how am I going to make my dream come true? Because that's going to put you in the Bermuda Triangle of Manifestation. You're going to be worrying about the house instead of turning it over to divine intelligence. Focus exclusively on the end result and then do what you think makes sense. Yes, those are hows, but you're not attached to them. Here's one of the biggest teaching points. The thing that makes a how a how, the thing that makes a how cursed, is not what you do. It's how you view why you did it. Why did you write that book? To make a million dollars, get on Oprah, and my life would take off. Oh, that's a cursed how. If instead you wrote that book because you wanted to write, while dreaming of a rocking life, but you wrote the book because it made sense, uh, you like to write, you have a story to tell, you have something to share, now you're going to write that book, and you're going to start that business, and you're going to show up with your friends, and you're going to diversify your life. Now you're not attached or insistent upon, that book is my ticket. Write the book to the best of your ability with a glad heart. But do other things as well and write the second book because you love writing. That's why you're writing the first book, right? So the thing that makes a cursed how cursed is when you insist or attach, this is how my dream or my life will take off. Let the dream stand alone and independent. And then try a number of different things. Pitch the ball in a number of different ways. Take lots of baby steps. Write the book. Sell the widgets. Go back to school. Uh, Become an entrepreneur. Do all of those things, but don't insist that any one of them be how your dream comes true. There will be a how. There's going to be an amazing story that you tell to everybody of how your dream came true. But don't tell that story at the beginning of the journey. Tell it afterwards. Let the universe surprise you. Leave infinite possibilities on deck for the universe to connect the dots. And you create the dots giving the universe more chances to reach you by doing different things. You don't have to do too many different things. Don't spread yourself too thin, but go in the direction of your passions. Go in direction of things that make some intuitive and logical sense towards living a rocking, joyful life. And the universe will be able to thread that needle and blow your mind. It's easy. It always works. It never fails. Well, there you have it, fellow adventurer. Thanks for listening to this most recent installment of Spiritual Tune-Ups. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a few seconds to rate it on the podcast service you're using right now. It makes a big difference in helping more people find us. And of course, if you want daily reminders of life's magic and your power, please sign up at tut.com for my free Notes from the Universe emails. Tally-ho!